Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, and welcome to Spartan Speak, a podcast from the Lansing State Journal and Detroit Free Press focused on Michigan State sports. I'm Phil Friend, your host and sports writer for LSJ, joined by two guys who plan to spend the next month in Indianapolis, Freak Beat writer Chris Solari and LSJ sports columnist Graham Couch. Gentlemen, it is a lovely Friday morning here in uh, the greater Lansing area. How are you guys doing? It's awfully positive of you, Phil, to think that we'll be there for a month. <laughs> I'm just riding the, the Michigan game on Thursday night, notwithstanding, just riding the momentum off the two wins last week and then the uh, the Tuesday win over Indiana. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it um, last night went about, I don't, you know, I would have, it didn't go how I didn't think it would go, if that makes sense. Like, I didn't, I wouldn't say I predicted it, but I, I thought they'd lose by 14. I thought, I thought there'd be a game Michigan got control of at some point and uh, it got a little more out of hand than maybe I expected but um you know that that's what Michigan State can be when they don't hit shots and they don't have additional scores and and um they don't you know make all the winning plays and win the 50-50 balls and all that stuff and Michigan did and you know they get one more swing at them yeah the 50-50 ball situation was one of the more troubling things I think and you know, we focus so much on the the Rocket Watts Hunter Dickinson loose ball that you know there was another play right after that that really kind of also contributed to it where Malik Hall lost the ball up front and they they went down and you know that was just where I don't think Michigan scored on that but so it gets kind of lost but that's where you kind of saw everything that you know that quick start that they had to the half really dissolve in those two plays um, and. You know, there was no answer for Hunter Dickinson inside, and Michigan really, I, I didn't think they used him as much as they could have. Um, so it could have been in some ways worse. I mean, it was 28 points um, late in that game, uh, and it ended up being a 19-point loss. So even on paper, it looks a little better than it really was uh, that, with that 25-4 to run uh, early in the, the second half to just kind of send that game to what it ended up being, um, but but yeah, there I, I I kind of agree with you, wrote Graham that there were some points where you can look and say, okay, they've they had some answers early, uh, but then if you also look at the entirety of it, you you, you kind of wonder, you know, in terms of picking poison, could Michigan have done more uh, in the paint in the second half? Because I mean, they scored twenty of their twenty six points in the paint in the first half. And then they got hot outside in the second half. So, you know, it, 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 in some ways it could have been better, and in some ways it could have been worse. So I'm not really sure what to expect on Sunday. The, you're right. I mean, I think if you're Michigan State, where you have to be encouraged is you didn't play well. You know, Michigan State is just so not the typical bubble team in a lot of ways. Uh, if you look at the – you know, they've got seven losses. They're <laughs> up by 14 points or more in Big Ten play. 
That's incredible. And they've also beaten some of those teams. They, they have lost to Rutgers by 30 and beaten them by 23. They played Iowa to the last shot right and lost by 30. Uh, they've beaten Ohio State and lost by nine, or 17. You don't see that. Like the Michigan State women's team is a more traditional bubble team. They've beaten almost everybody they can beat. Uh, they haven't really upset anybody. They don't have any re- overly impressive wins. They don't have any bad losses. They haven't really been blown out that much. Um, and that's you know, Michigan State just weird that way. And it's because they don't have a point guard, so they don't. They, every game doesn't look the same, right? I mean, it's and but because yeah. of that, because of that though, when you get out class or overmatched in a game, you have hope for the next one. Like, that's, that's the big thing that's different about most bubble teams than MSU. Most teams, you know, I watched Indiana play Michigan, and Michigan just, Michigan won by 17, and it was like every three minutes, Michigan was two points. There was no run in the whole game. It was just like every three minutes, Michigan was two points better. And and this was not that game in the same way. This is not that. So that, that's got to give Michigan State some hope. And then, you know, the other thing is you can't go worse than 0 for 9 for 3. I mean, I guess you go for 20, but, you know, uh, you – they're, they're, you just didn't hit any shots other than Aaron Henry for a while. And you found some things with Julius Marvel, I thought, who did pretty well against Dickinson. I, so th- there's reason to think you could be a lot more competitive. But the also, the, and, and you've also seen games where you've made the winning plays. But, you know, the, the, the other problem is Michigan has just made those plays all year long, except for that one Illinois game. And so the idea that Michigan State, I mean, the odds are still very much stacked against MSU. You know, it's interesting to me as well on top of that is, you know, just kind of looking in big picture at this season and where Michigan State's at headed on this bubble. Um, You know, I know Tom Izzo has pointed to that Purdue game that they lost by one at home uh, quite a bit as being a a swing moment potentially uh, towards an NCAA bid. But to me, the two big ones really are the first two Big Ten games. Uh, They're two of the first three Big Ten games with those losses, those big losses to Northwestern and Minnesota. I mean, you know, when you're looking at their resume, if you're selection committee, you know, you've got the the balancing factors with the Rutgers game and the the mitigating factor of coming off the COVID with that 30-point loss on the road. You've got, um, you know, you've got the competitive game at Iowa versus the the big loss at home. What you don't have is, is answers for, how this team before the COVID situation struggled with uh, a Northwestern team that is, I, I think, you know, probably among the worst in the Big Ten. And, and Minnesota, which has faded hard um, down the stretch, um, to me, those are the two games uh, that, that make at least getting one win in the Big Ten tournament essential. Um, but also, you know, if they can beat Michigan somehow, some way, uh, you know, you couple those three wins that they've got here in the last couple weeks with, with that, if they were to pull that game plus the Illinois and Ohio State games, uh, I, I think that gives them a better, a significantly better chance to get in. I mean, it's, you know, you beat Michigan, I think you're in. But, but there's still a lot to discuss about this team. If you're a selection committee, say, who is this team? Right. It, it, it's an interesting conversation, right? Because you don't um, – the net rankings are jacked, right? I think – and I've been sort of referring right. to the net all year, and the, the tournament committee is going to have to be careful. And a lot of that's because Michigan State does have some blowout losses. But it, right now it feels like Michigan State could beat Michigan 20 times and they'd move from like 71 to 64. Like they're just not moving even when they have big wins. But the um, what, what's interesting about – it's, it's almost like in this – 
I was going to say, it's almost like in this season that they need a separate metric because, you know, those, those metrics have been honed for traditional non-conference neutral sites and home games that don't necessarily exist this year. Right. No, and, and, and Michigan State, and then you have COVID where you do have teams that, you know, I mean, to me, I would throw every team's first game back from COVID. I, you know, I know it's taken a couple games for teams. Yeah. You can't give teams every game. But I would I would say any team that have a COVID pause, if I'm evaluating them, I, I throw out that first game. You know, you you saw it. With, you've seen it with a lot of different teams that have really struggled there, and, and not every. I mean, Michigan's the exception, and that's what makes part of what makes Michigan's season so incredible is that they have uh, they have overcome a lot of what other people haven't. Right? They've overcome uh, having a new identity in the roster. That yes, they have some returners, but they brought in transfers, and that has worked, and they've been cohesive. It is a weird year with 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 the net and 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 is Christie's. I mean, how do you? Like to me, if Michigan State plays Michigan close in the next game, then you've got a team that played a number one seed close, might have played and beaten another number one seed because Illinois looks like it might be that right now, and then a number two seed possibly in Ohio State beat them in the last three weeks of the year. Like that's not a traditional bubble team. How do you judge that? And other teams won't have those wins. I think it's. The game control aspect of the net ranking I have issues with, period, um, because it doesn't measure true game control. It measures uh, final score, uh, which I think is is a dangerous precedent. I mean, if, if we're going to judge final score, then you ought to be able to leave your starters in until the very end, step on somebody's throat, flex at their bench, and say, I'm playing for the net ranking. The game is still going. This is like goal differential in soccer i've got to pile it on here you know like it's just not it doesn't make any sense and that that's got to go or they've just got to understand that that's not that you know this year it's just going to take a deeper dive by the committee is what it's going to take let me ask you something this is one that i think that as we're talking about this that's going to get lost in a lot of ways and really has gotten lost in a lot of ways what happens if a 5-0 and Michigan State team plays that Virginia team? I mean, where are you at right now? Let's say they beat Virginia in that game. You're in. You're in with this resume if you have Virginia a win over Virginia when you're playing your best on top of that. I mean, you know, losing that game at that point uh, may end up actually hurting them as well. Um, you know, and that's – you know, it's something that you're never going to think about and never really talk about. And there's no guarantee they would have won that game either. But they were playing some of their best basketball at that point. So, you know, it, there's so many permutations that go on with this the, that the selection committee has just got a lot more critical decisions to make rather than analytical decisions to make, in my opinion. Okay, before uh, you jump in here, Graham, if you're going to, let me rattle off where Michigan State is in a few of the other rankings. Uh you guys mentioned the net rankings a second ago. They are currently 74th in the net rankings, surrounded by Louisiana Tech above them and F- Furman below them. Kind of some but, but before you go on, there are teams 30 spots ahead that who whose resumes are no better. I know. That's and a, that's uh, where the rankings are wrong. Right. You know? Well, like Indiana's 60th. And I, and I don't think anybody of us would say that uh, they are better than the, the Hoosiers are better than Michigan State. So that's crazy. So in the Sagarin ratings, Michigan State is 39th which is a pretty favorable number, but I know nobody uses the RPI anymore, but if they were still using the RPI, Michigan State is 94th in that. So kind of 
kind of all over the place depending on whatever your preferred computer metric is and determining the uh, how good Michigan State is exactly. So they're kind of all over the map. They got to they got to win another game, I think. I really do. And you know, w- one of the things that uh, and I think the 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 way they've lost games is part of the reason. Like I thought for a long time that eight and twelve and fourteen and uh, and twelve would get them in. Fourteen, twelve, and all eight and twelve in the in the Big Ten. But I was thinking forever that there would be no Big Ten tournament. I, I still am amazed there's a Big Ten tournament. So be, because of that, it doesn't really go eight. It's another loss if you weren't to get to nine wins. So not, and then even though you've had two wins against Ohio State and uh, Illinois, which I didn't necessarily see coming, you, the 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 number the number of points in which you've lost some of these games and how that is judged, it really it it set you up here. Where you're probably going to play Rutgers. That's probably who it's going to be. It not for sure. Um, but if you play Rutgers in that first round and Thursday or that second round, I guess is what it is. But you, you've got to win that if you don't you don't beat Michigan. Yeah. I think. And, and, and to be honest, that's probably fair, given who this Michigan State team is. If you if you can't beat a another uh, team that's going to be about an eight seed or below in the first round of the Big Ten tournament after going eight and twelve, if they lose to Michigan in the regular season, I, I don't know. You know, I, I don't know that you deserve more. That said. Everything's got to be compared, and, and, and Michigan State. I, I am certain there are teams on the bubble. Like, there's no way Duke should be ahead of Michigan State, because if right. you just put Michigan State in this year's ACC, not only do they win that game, you put Michigan State in this year's ACC. I think they might be in easily right now. It's a bad, bad league, and it's not being properly judged for how bad it is. You know, I, I think they they probably need to get Rutgers to be honest, because I don't think Maryland's yeah. a great matchup for this team right now. Um, I think that's one thing. And I think the fallacy here, let's go back to your your thought that there would never be a Big Ten tournament. That's fallacy thinking on your part because you were not taking into account the fact that there are TV contracts for that. And always, always that was going to be the reason. Which, you know? is, I mean, which is even more every, amazing. Everything, is dictated, everything has been dictated throughout COVID by, by TV contracts. Every bit of it. From, you know, you, you start talking about the football season – um, and, and trying to get games in there to the the way that they've scheduled and they tried to get all 20 games in come hell or high water. It's always been to fulfill TV contracts, and that's the same with the Big Ten tournament. Yeah, no, I think you're right. Now that was short-sighted by me. I think what's also amazing, considering that that it is all about TV, is there, and I know it's all about money too. So they're letting some fans in there in that experience. But to me, the idea that you would risk any virus walking into the same building as your players uh, during the Big Ten tournament when you're that close to the NCAA tournament and NCAA tournament money with this many teams that have a legitimate chance at a really deep run in the NCAA tournament, to me, is a little crazy. I'm, I know it's a huge building at Lucas Oil Stadium, but 8,000 fans is still 8,000 fans, and I'm a little surprised they did it, not because I don't think it can be done safely. I Frankly, uh, I mean, Indiana is a whole different issue. My sister lives down there. I've done some reporting down. It's it's that's another another deal. And the women's tournament's got even bigger issues. Susie Merchant yesterday was pretty blunt about, I mean, not knowing what was going to go on uh, playing in Texas. But but the uh, when that's the NCAA tournament. But um, I, I'm I'm surprised that the Big Ten would take any risk. Uh, given how much money is at stake for for schools and for the uh, and, and what's at stake after um, the Big Ten tournament too, you mentioned uh, Duke earlier. Just for comparative uh, sake, uh, Duke is ahead of Michigan State in both the net 
and Sagarin ratings, but in the RPI, Michigan State is ahead of them. So just wanted to throw that little wrinkle in there when you're talking about how Duke should not be ranked ahead of Michigan State in any capacity. So, I mean, I mostly agree with that. I mean, they, Coach K basically just quit on the season when he, so he was like – when the and then the, you have your star player quit as well. It just that, that's just been a weird season over over in Durham. Well, I think what makes people nervous too is and the, the NCAA tournament selection committee usually does a really good job. There is always somebody who gets screwed. Usually, it's a mid major. I've never been on the side of the middling high major that didn't really do enough to get in and gets in, or or just had an average season. But with MSU, there's a streak, obviously, so there's something there, and then. This is an interesting team that's shown it can uh, can beat the best. Like, Chris, like to me, I don't know what you do if you're the committee. Like, I would almost decide if MSU was in. And then, and this is obviously not real, but put them on sort of, some sort of weird seed line because it's not fair to a number two seed if, if say, Michigan State's a 10 at the end of the day. Say they beat Michigan and wind up as a 10 or something. It's not fair, and they get to the second round, and a two seed has to play that game, team on its best day. Like that's not a, a bubble team getting a two seed. No two seed, two seeds deserve better than that. It's almost unfair to. Uh, I mean, that's what makes MSU so weird. Is they clearly, I, I don't know that they have the consistency in them to make the sort of run that gets you to a Final Four. Um, you know, I don't think we'll see a repeat of 2015 where they weren't that good. But, but I do think when well, we saw that Illinois Ohio State. That's potentially a, a second round and Sweet Sixteen matchup right there against a three and a two and three seed or whatever. And there is the possibility that this team could, if they got there in the right matchups and they played well, you could see this team in the Elite Eight. Wow, we have run the we have run the gamut of conversation here. Uh, Ten minutes ago, we're like, well, we're not even sure if they're going to get in. Now you're saying they could make an Elite Eight round up. Well, I don't. Th- no, I don't know if they're getting in. Well, I'm just saying if they get in, they're dangerous. Listen, the other thing to keep in mind about getting into the tournament. And again, because this is a weird year, right? Um, because there wasn't a tournament last year, I, 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 and I don't have any any merit to this to say this, but again, when we're talking about how much the TV contracts matter, how much are eyeballs going to matter at this point? Uh, you know, I mean, it, it comes into play with the with the the uh, college football playoff. We, we've seen that over the years with the selection for that 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 eyeballs do matter. And a team like Michigan State draws a heck of a lot more eyebrows than a mid-major bubble team. I mean, there's and no question eyeballs, about that. And, well, and speaking of eyeballs in a different way, I mean, the eye test is, as you were alluding to earlier, sort of the, the uh, you know, what you see, the analytics and each team. I think what makes people nervous, too, is that the, the while the, tur- the NCAA tournament, and I started to make this point last time, and per usual, got off on some other thought, because I'm just not very good at this, but the... Um, the NCAA tournament committee is usually pretty good, but when you see what happened with the college football selection committee and their rankings throughout time, and you start to go, boy, that was a pretty inept group at how they judge certain teams. That's what makes people nervous. The inability to actually see what is and, and not trust it. No question. And I mean, there's history with that, with the NCAA tournament. Yeah. So let me, let me ask you guys this. So let's say Michigan state loses on Sunday. Then let's say they lose on Thursday in the Big Ten tournament to presumably Rutgers. Do those win? Are those wins over Illinois and Ohio State? Is that enough to get the Spartans in the NCAA tournament? Uh, going off what Chris was saying a few minutes ago, I would say yes. I think this. I, I think they're in regardless. I know that might be that's a mild take. That's a mild take, I think. But I just think those two wins, especially coming toward the end of the season, will 
will give them enough to enough juice to you know to to carry them over someone else that's on the bubble, say at uh, say Indiana. It, it to me is going to be a, a really one way or another a controversial decision if that happens. If that's how it plays out, and then Michigan State will have lost four of its last five games, and you're putting that team in the tournament. I mean, you know, because they'll have lost two to Michigan, one to Rutgers, and one to Maryland. Right. Um, with with the the one win in between over Indiana, um, it's gonna it'll be a controversial decision to put Michigan State in at that point. But I, again, I I still think that eyeballs are gonna matter. I really do, and that's in terms of television viewership. And that right or wrong, that's just kind of where the NCAA is at right now with this tournament. You know, they say they don't judge the last 10 anymore, and I don't know that that hurts Michigan State if you look at the 10 as a whole. The Illinois win is interesting because, you know, Illinois, they beat with the Sunmu, and Illinois has just been incredible since. And um, that that win is probably against a number one seed now. I think think Illinois is going to get that last number one seed. I mean, that win at Michigan for Illinois was, I think, one of those wins that does that, given where where they were. and, and I know Ohio State's faded a, a little bit here. You know, the whole season is weird, and this is why I think it's hard to trust or know what's what. I mean, we have to have a system in place that judges Minnesota for their injuries. I mean, Minnesota also thumped Michigan, remember? Minnesota was a 13-6 and six team safely in the tournament before the injuries took hold. This wasn't the usual fan, fan faded Iowa or something like that. This was, And I know Richard Pitino gets a lot of grief, and he's probably going to be fired, but they, they lost their best shooter. They lost their center that, that gave Hunter Dickinson trouble. Uh, and, uh, you know, they, they've just had all a mess, of, a mess of injuries there, and they've become a very different team. So you have to equate for that. Um, I've often thought that, and I think some of the metrics kind of do this a little bit, but I've often thought you ought to take away a team's, um, and, and I don't know if it's entirely fair, worst performance and best performance in a season to measure them a little bit, you know. Um, now, that's not fair to a mid-major who maybe gets one shot at somebody. But if you're in the Big Ten and you have a complete dud against somebody, in Michigan State, the problem for them is they had a few of them, <laughs> but uh, and you had one great performance, then, then, then those are outliers. And the problem for Michigan State is their whole season is outliers, right? I mean, you just go through their result, results. I mean, it's, it's one after another things that don't really make sense. Um, and uh, that's, I think they are one of the more fascinating teams to judge because uh, they, they do not have um, – they're just not a, a traditional bubble team. They're, they're better and they're worse. Yeah, when you listed off all those uh, blowout losses, I, get, I hadn't really thought about those too much, but then you see all that and you're like, oh, man, this is – that's that would seem like a pretty huge knock against them. But like I said, I think I just think those two wins are going to – Especially if they, uh, especially if Illinois ends up being a one seed, I think that'll be enough to get them over the line. Even though it will be weird seeing the men at fourteen and thirteen, if in the in the scenario that we laid out here. Yeah, no, I and I, I think that somebody, but there are going to be teams that are in there. The weird record here, right? They just aren't non-conference games. Um, again, I, I usually side on the on the side of deserved over best because I believe the the tournament usually gets all the teams that have any sort of chance in there that really, and then mid-majors that we don't really understand or don't know or didn't, you know, uh, had great years but didn't get a chance to play certain people. That's why I always think intent and scheduling uh, should be noted in in public. Like, if I were a mid-major team, I would be able to submit, hey, and and I had a 26-4 and year, hey, we offered to play this, 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 and this school, and here's the communication. 
They rejected the offer. And so if those teams are against us on the bubble, we get in. And I would be A-OK with that because mid-majors dodge or high majors dodge these guys all the time in, in, in most years. Um, you know, that, I would be cool with that. This is just a strange year, and, and I, I have no idea. Um, I, I, you know, right now, if MSU gets in, they're going to be able to play in game. And, and, and to some ways, Chris, I wonder if you feel this way. To me, a play-in game feels the fairest thing for this team. Like, just one more chance yeah. to, to prove that you are actually a tournament team, right? Like, just, you know, do it again. You don't, you're in. You get to say you're in. The streak's alive. But you you got to win another one. And, and for all the bad losses and good wins and us not knowing, you've got to play a play-in game. No, I think that's a fair thing right now. Um, you know, they've – what have they done – I mean, it's you're, yes, you're playing arguably one of the, the toughest conferences in the past 25 years, um, and all of your losses are in conference. Um, that said, some of those losses are ugly. I mean, you know, who are you? I mean, you know, that's, again, where that Virginia game would have been maybe a better measuring stick against a, a quality team that, that's, that's absolutely in the field, not a Duke, not a Notre Dame. Um, but you know, and particularly at that point in the season, um, not having that game now, really, I mean, you know, you could have pointed to that game if you, if you played it and won it and said, this is why we deserve to be in, but not, you know, not so much right now because that, that game doesn't exist. I don't know. I mean, it, it that begs another question. Let's, let's say Michigan state gets bounced in that first game. Uh, of the Big Ten tournament on Thursday, if you're Thomas, do you try and do you see put out feelers and say, can we get another game, maybe by sun- that Sunday? I don't know. I mean, because we're we're just in such a weird year that I don't know. I wouldn't rule anything out at this point. There's no there's no rules that say that if you if you're bounced out of your conference tournament that you can't play some other team. That actually would be a fascinating play. Like if you're you know, and, and yeah. do you find uh, do you find another bubble team that that, that somewhere that that wants the because a non bubble it would be hard. Yeah, you, you have to find a non bubble game team. for the playing game. Yeah, you'd have to find a, another team on the bubble that sort of said we we sort of understand we're both right there, and the loser of this may be out, but let's let's do it. You know, and um, that would be that would be an interesting dynamic because I don't know who that would who that would be, but there'd be a, you know there'd be three four teams and they would have to be available to play and. They looked very tired last night. Is an, is an additional game really, really what they would need? In, well, what in I'm saying situation? though is, but if, I, I, if they were to lose, if that's if that's your if that's the difference between playing right. in, in the NCAA tournament and not, I mean, the, yeah, then sure. the Rutgers game, if you lose, it could be your last game of the year. Yeah, right. If if you lose to Rutgers and you feel like you're on the wrong side of it, so I think it, it gets interesting for Michigan State. Say they play Michigan tight, okay. And they lose a game that's you know seventy to sixty five, real competitive game where they just played a team that might be the best, than five points after beating another number one seed, number two seed in the last two weeks. There's a real argument that team should not be left out of the tournament. That the idea is anybody is that capable ought to be in, given the the closest of the resume. And then so say they go to they play Rutgers then, again another you know a capable team and lose a nail biter, lose by a couple points in the final minute. Uh, where it really, it really was just a play here or there that changed the whole thing. There is, a, there would be an argument that maybe they are still in the last four. It would be interesting. They would, it would be sleepless nights, but they'd have a shot. 
But if they get pounded by Michigan again and, say, lose by 12 to Rutgers, I, I think you'd, you'd say, okay, you, you know, <laughs> look around. I don't care how tired we are. Let's, let's, play, a game. let's play a game, you know. It's, these are interesting conversations, conversations that we haven't had about Michigan State uh, while, while Chris and I have been, you know, covering the team. I mean, I guess Chris is is so old that in his early days covering them at the state news, they were an IT team. This is but, true. This is, but, this uh, is true. I, well, I, had, but Chris, I, had, I had two NIT tournaments. Um, one is sports editor of the state news and one is editor in chief of the state news. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this, Chris, like you, you covered those, uh, you know, those you, you were around and, and I, I live here in town. I mean, I remember those teams pretty well, you know, I mean, everything everybody hates about, um, uh, them playing Thomas Kithier too much. They hated about Steve Polanowski back then, or at least 15 year old grandpa. Oh, yeah. But the, um, w- but those teams didn't have, I mean, I guess the, the team in 96, 97 was different because Cleves wasn't all that healthy. They had the recruit. The, the beginnings of the makings were on that team. They just weren't that good. But if you go back to 1995, 96, Izzo's first team, I mean, you talk about the epitome of a 500 team. They actually went 500 both in the Big Ten and in the regular season, 16 and 16, uh, 9 and 9, or I think it was. And they were, you know, they had a couple okay wins, um, I think over a top 10 Penn State team at the time maybe or something like that. But they were so offensively challenged. You know, Ray Weathers was 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 their best offensive player. They were, you know, Quentin Brooks was a really good player. But they didn't have, a, there was no Aaron Henry on that team. And they, they didn't even have a, I mean, they didn't even have a Joey Hauser. It's like Joey Hauser joined that team and would have elevated them significantly. This is a very different type of bubble team than anything the MSU's had. Uh, I think you're forgetting the fact that both of those teams had uh, Morris Peterson, but they didn't have a Morris Peterson. Right. They had they had redshirting Morris Peterson they, and then, they, and then had, they had Morris Peterson who hadn't figured it out. And you know, partly one of the reasons why you hear Tom Izzo talk so much about players' development in the process. I mean, a guy like Peterson would have been would have been out of the program after maybe those first two years in the current landscape, whereas then he stuck around and really honed his talents um, and became a, you know, let me ask you guy for a number of years. Stay, staying on Morris, let me ask you something, Chris. Like, we have often, I, I think, I think Izzo has overstated the Gabe Brown-Morris-Peterson comparison because he wants – Gabe Brown to be Morris Peterson. And he also, I think this year wanted Gabe Brown to be okay coming off the bench. So he's got this example of Morris Peterson, right? Who did it and did it. Um, but what's also interesting, I think that it's sometimes forgotten that Gabe Brown gets compared to junior Morris Peterson, but I think Izzo in his head is comparing him to sophomore Morris Peterson because Morris Peterson redshirted. And I think Gabe Brown, right. when I look at the full roster, anybody who's going to take advantage of the COVID rule, I think Gabe Brown is going to play two more years at Michigan state. Because I think he's a guy at six seven who's a shooter, unless he has a great year next year, but who has some pro potential because of his size and shooting ability. But it hasn't all come together yet. Where he's one of those guys that the fifth year could actually help. I, I I tend to think he'll be around Michigan State for for two more years. It's possible. I mean, you know, he's had such a good finish to the season, with the exception of of Thursday night's game where he took only two shots. Um, that you know, you you see the seeds there. Um, I do think there's 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 some validity to that though because if you watch his shot, I mean it's really hitchy. I mean, it is, yeah. you know, his release point is is hitchy and flat at the top when he when he elevates. He, he makes it work, but 
you know, Peterson had a very, very smooth shot by the time he was really a, a sophomore yeah. or junior. And that's a that's a big difference, you know. I mean, you know, it's, if you're a herky-jerky shooter, I mean, odds are you can be a little more streaky. Uh, and then we've seen that for Gabe Brown at times. Um, you know, not notwithstanding the, you know, since he came back from COVID, how well he shot the ball outside. Um, I, I, You know, that's possible. I mean, it's very possible, and it, that wouldn't be necessarily a bad thing. Now, the other situations that, that you look at, and, and you look at the other guys like Foster Lawyer and and uh, Marcus Bingham and Kissier, I mean, you know, is, you know, would, would, is it in your in your historical analysis, would uh, – would Bingham or Kithier, which one of them would be more the John Garavaglia of this team? <laughs> See, I mean, and people don't know, that you know like I if you remember that was a Mr. Basketball, though. Right? No, and Foster I, it's Lawyer, right. Mr. Foster Lawyer was Mr. Basketball. You know, he he never raised the the, the expectations like uh, and it's just like like Garavaglia. It's like what you well, saw in the high school or didn't translate to college. The difference between Garavaglia and Lawyer is I think Lawyer has a firm understanding of who he is. <laughs> I remember Garavaglia always thought he was a star. It drove Izzo crazy because he wasn't the hardest working dude. And he got to, I think it was Milwaukee Bucks camp. I forget where he got in the NBA and training camp. And he had some statement early in camp as an undrafted rookie about how he was better than a lot of the guys there. And I just thought, this guy, <laughs> never, never going to learn. And, of course, he got cut and it didn't happen. I mean, he, he was a talented guy, but um, – yeah, the, the, uh, the, the there, there is a there there are some interesting comps in that sense, and it, it will be interesting to see this roster um, because I think the uh, Enoch Buake, or if I don't know how to pronounce it right, and, I mean, I, whatever his name is, because he didn't come to Michigan State, I'm glad I probably have to say it 15 to 20 more times. Um, Gary and Lloyd Ballard. Or, yeah, um, yeah. I have to look it up every well, time. Well, we're gonna we're gonna be we're gonna be doing this for uh, Ma Nagate for the next four years on the football side. So <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, it's, it's a before a before Y except after O or something like that, which also <laughs> spells I O. I think so, the uh, yeah. Somehow uh, Izzo saw I O as a hole the whole time when he was doing that um, <laughs> press conference. Yeah, he did. I did not understand where that came from, but uh, the. Um, yeah, it will be interesting to see because there isn't another big guy going, because we've seen some things from Bingham, guys who I think early in the year might have split. Um, and Marble has been really good. Like Marble was their best guy last night against Michigan. You know, I, I am and, – and the COVID year buys these guys a – and the fact that if not by this summer, certainly by next, you're going to have the one-time transfer rule in place, right? So there, there's – it's it, I, I, I tend to think a lot of guys come back now, some somebody may leave, and and we may be somebody, um, but you know, if, take, take Marcus Bingham for example. If he comes back next year, and it doesn't work out, and it's the same year, you know, he can transfer. He might be a graduate at that point anyway, but he can transfer, play right away, and still have another year. These guys essentially got a redshirt year, even though they played as freshmen out of this year. And it doesn't have to be at Michigan State, but it also takes the pressure off having to have it happen next year. The same for, for Marble. I mean, Marble could right now is is really effective. And I and I don't know where Marble's head is. I mean, here's a guy who, who you know lost his lost his dad, had a really tough year. Um, you know, I have no idea what that kid wants to do. And he may want to go somewhere else. He may want to um 
I have no closer idea. Closer to his and, family, maybe. Yeah. That's, that's obviously a realistic situation. Right. And then that's fine. Kids should do what's best for them. And, and um, But say he stays next year, and again, it doesn't go as he is planned. Then you're talking about a guy who still has two years left, and the one-time transfer rule will certainly be in place by them. He's not going to have to sit, and he's going to have two years of eligibility somewhere. This COVID year, and I think this is the right thing to do. I mean, I know it's screwed up some things for incoming freshmen, and it's made some things weird, and it's done horrors to high school kids and other, you know. But the, the one thing that, that I, I think for college kids, the NCAA did very well right away was saying this year doesn't count. And I know in non-rev sports, there's greater problems with money and and and, and even the high rev, they don't want all these kids back. But this, this was not to, to get this year back, I think, is really important. And, and, and for Michigan State, for this roster, I think it allows some kids to develop who didn't get a real chance. Like Malik Hall, if you watched him at the end of last year, I would have thought he would have been a lot more um, offensively this year. But he didn't get the offseason. He didn't get the freshman to sophomore year offseason that you're supposed to get. I still right. think he has an array of tools and will be a good offensive player um, at, at – um, at, at MSU, and so he gets, you know, you get compensated for that time. And a guy like Malik Hall, who's not the size of most pros for his position, so to speak, you know, maybe he'll be a guy who sticks around and plays extra time. And, and it depends if these guys like it, if they want to do it. But I, I think the, the roster moving forward is going to be very, very interesting. Um, you know, uh, they got to recon- yeah. reconstruct Rocket Watts' game, and, and, that's, and we'll that's see what he I does. I mean, I, that's while we're while we're on that because i think that's that's exactly where i wanted to go next um okay you know i'm trying to what we've got these historical comparisons um i'm not sure i can figure a historical comparison is those tenure for rocket watts right now you know the, the one... i think because listen i mean you you got a guy right now that isn't defending well he's right. Not a shooting guard who's not shooting well. He's a point guard who doesn't know the offense and doesn't run the offense or, or move the ball. Um, he's not hitting from outside. He's attacking a lane and hitting, trying to shoot floaters that he can't make over big guys rather than attacking the rim and, and drawing contact. I, and that, that goes into that loose ball situation that we saw with Hunter Dickinson where he's, he's just bending over at the waist casually while Dickinson's diving on the floor. I mean, Izzo guards in the past, and he, he brought that up, you know, talking about Spartan lore, the plays that you would make in Spartan lore. That's diving after a ball. Everybody knows that. Everybody knows that's going hard to, to make those 50-50 plays. I can't recall one player in Izzo's time that you've seen physical talent like that, but inability to not just maximize it, but to get something out of it. Because right now they're getting nothing out of it. So here, yeah, here a couple comps that happened, uh, not full comps, but comps when I think of Rocket Watts situation. Brandon Cotton, who only played half a year at Michigan State, uh, had the foot injury, guy out of Detroit, who transferred to U of D, became a scorer there. Um, you know, it was a combo guard. They were counting on to be the point guard, and that's what left them with, like, Chris Hill playing point guard and stuff after after that. Um, and, and then and, and Cotton's been a guy who's played played professionally since then, but it's been in Iceland. Yeah, you know? right. If, if Rocket Watts wants to play in the NBA... some eligibility to play in Iceland. Yeah, if Rocket Watts wants to play in the NBA, and, and I have great uh, interest in the Iceland professional opportunities, but uh, if, if Rocket Watts yeah. wants to play in the NBA, 
yeah, he should stay at Michigan State, and he should embrace the point guard, lead guard. Because if 6'2", unless you become a better shooter, like, you know, Russell Westbrook had some similarities to Rocket Watts in terms of his game, but he was a better athlete and he was 6'5". You know what I mean? Like, and so you can, you know, Rocket Watts is kind of a poor man's that, but a poor man's that doesn't get you anywhere in the league. It gets you, Rocket Watts can get paid a lot of money overseas for a long time because he'll be able to create a shot over there and, and if that's and have a good life. And I'm not saying, and that's not a bad life. Again, I sign up for it right away. Um, but I, I, I would, it'll, it'll be interesting. And then but the other, can he, create his, can he create his own shot? I mean, that's the thing. Is like, well, everything's, everything's one thing. But everything's one thing if you can't make it. You know, well, everything's relative to the level. If it's a long rebound going to run out the other way, what exactly is it? Yeah, but but everything's relative to the guys you're playing against. I'm telling you right now, like it it is. You watch some of these guys play, and uh, I'll give you a name. I'll give you a name right now, Stannis Buford, and I think I might have brought this up here, but this would be the uh, if you're if you're keeping track at home, and I know one of our listeners does the Western Michigan reference. um, You know, this guy JUCO transfer. Eight minutes. Yeah, (laughs) JUCO transfer. First year I'm covering Western, uh, I, I, I see him at the end of the – I come in to cover the conference tournament in the NIT in 2005, see him as a junior. I'm watching summer workouts because everything was open there. And I'm like, this guy's an NBA player. Oh, my gosh. A 6'5", athletic as hell, dominates an open run, right, up and down game. Couldn't play in the half court to save his life. I mean, he had one good game of balls. But I remember watching him and just – it was a real struggle for him. And so – but – Overseas, those guys find their level, right? And they um, so again, Rocket Watts. Though, if he wants to play in the NBA, he's got to deconstruct and become a point guard. And you know, the closest comp for that, and, and the, one other guy I wanted to mention, I'm forgetting his name. Who's the JUCO transfer from Flint who never panned out? They brought in a point guard, um, Rashi Johnson. Rashi Johnson. There's a little Rashi Johnson mo- jumps to mind, and uh, but these aren't the, great comparisons, though. These aren't. No, these no. aren't <laughs> You know, stars comparisons for a guy that, that, that you brought in as a four-star recruit and, and and came into this season expecting him to be your number maybe one or two option to score. So let me give you a semi-success comp, Keith Applin. And what, what's interesting about Watts, and again, he didn't get the offseason either, is like Mike Garland was adamant last year when Watts was talking to him about the potential of Watts at point guard that Watts was way ahead at the end of his freshman year from where Keith Appling was at that point in terms of becoming a point guard, right? Now, Keith Appling as a sophomore had the benefit of, of, of Draymond Green really being the guy running the the, the show, you know, just a, a huge player and personality that the Michigan State team could use in that sense. But the Appling by the end, and I know he, he got hurt and he had some off-court trouble, but he had turned himself into an NBA player. Yeah, he had to go through the G League a little bit, but he was getting contracts. And I had a conversation once where he's like, gosh, the floor is so much w- more wide open in the NBA because it's more spread out. It's easier for my game. And there's a guy who turned himself into, before he got hurt, an all-conference level point guard who Michigan State's coaches thinks had fewer point guard instincts and skills than, than Rocket Watts. So, again, Rocket may never get there because what you have to do is develop. But I think if Rocket Watts wants to play in the NBA, he's got to deconstruct his game, fully buy into the ability to play that position at a high level. It doesn't mean he's always got to be the point guard at Michigan State. If Michigan State's got to line up with uh, him and, 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 and Jay Nakins, 
and they're both combo point guards, and either one of them can do it, and they both do it at a high level, you know, that's a that's a good situation, right? But he's got to buy into the ability 80. to do that. And the other thing, he's got to make shots. He's got to get his shot back because it's not just missing threes. It's the floaters. Nothing goes for him, and, and you're just – everybody says, well, he's a scoring guard, but he's not scoring either. It'd be one thing if he was struggling at the point and putting up 14 a game when they moved him off the ball. He's just not shooting either. I'm telling you, I went back a couple weeks ago and watched a lot of almost all of that 64-point game that, that Watts put up against St. Ed's when he was playing at Spire. And one, the defenders were were giving him th- you know foot and a half, two feet of space on every shot. I mean, he had plenty of room to shoot no matter how far he kept backing up, right? Um, he struggled with bigger defenders. That that St. Ed's didn't have Division One six five defenders in his face. He struggled with that. And the other thing is we keep talking about his ability to create his shots, but that crossover dribble is on the books now, two years' worth of, of film on that. And more and more defenders are sticking with him. And, I mean, that's – that's become less and less of an ability to me. I, I've seen him try that crossover dribble multiple times and still have a defender in his face as he tries to hit the shot from outside. And so you're not freeing yourself up when you don't diversify your moves. So, you know, there's got to be some – and, again, we, this goes back to the, the lack of a summer, I think, in, some, in a lot of ways for him. So I don't want to bag on a kid too much because I think he's a good kid and – you know, I, I do think that, that there is work ethic there that that uh, if he had a normal offseason, he, he would have put in the time to do so. But at the same point, to go to the Keith Appling comparison, Keith Appling was diving after loose balls. Keith Appling, the one thing you couldn't question was was Appling's heart on on those intangible plays, on, on the defensive end. And Watts has been blown by so much this year. How much we will we may never know why we, it may be a, a physical thing. Remember, he had that leg issue. I, yeah. I keep going back to that first game I saw him in Moneyball, where he missed every shot. I mean, that's a summer league game, and you're a four star recruit, and you don't make a shot. I mean, th- to me, that was you know you, you then you heard about the leg injury, and you say, okay, well, you put a little asterisk next to it and kind of file it away, but the more you see the shots not falling, the more you keep going back to those moments and saying, maybe this is the player he is. Maybe he's, well, that, that, maybe that he's, the question. he's not the guy. And with the defensive end in particular, you know, he, I, I think that when, when Izzo went to that smaller lineup, uh, one of the things that you saw is when Watts would get blown by uh, up top, Langford and Brown and Henry were, were digging in to kind of cut off. And, that wasn't there last night against Michigan, and it resulted. I mean, I, the first couple buckets were all buckets from Smith and and Brooks, and there's no way that a four star guard should be getting blown by by those two guys. Well, the the other, I mean, it's hard to stay in front of people. But 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 also, I mean, that is Michigan State's defense. It's supposed to be a you know a gap help defense, right? And and at its best. Um, right. I'll be I'll be curious to see like watch his response. Got, you also got to stay in front of your guy more often. I mean, you 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 know that's the the help is shouldn't have to be every dribble drive. No, that's true. I, I'm all, I'm curious to watch his response. Like to me, like th- this is a, this is a big game for him, and, and and not necessarily how he shoots. I mean, that that can be de- you know 
deconstructed over the year, over the offseason. He could, he could still have a good career, but, but how he, um, because it, 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 to me, it's how he, um, it, it, it's how he responds. It's, it's, it's whether he's all out, whether he's, and, and whether, I mean, I think Izzo made the right move. I know Watts have been really good early in the game offensively. Uh, and, and I think I, he could have, he, he, he was, he was taking shots. I mean, well, he hit some shots. I should say this. He, he hit some he shots. Attacking. I don't know how I would say good. I mean, it's, it's put it this way. I think it's relative. He could have been useful in the second half, but I think Izzo made the right call in benching him for the final 17 minutes because ultimately there are program moments. And when, when, when something is an established right. trait in your program, you can't let something like that sort of casual lean over to get, a, to get that loose ball stand and you also have to play the long game, knowing you're playing Michigan two days in a row or two games in a row. And you need, you know, you, you need a response from him. You need a different response from him. And so I'm very curious to see, see him. It, what's sort of interesting about all of this is I've thought in the last few games, and I know I'll duck from the flying fruit as I say this, there, there have been a few moments where I've really thought they could use Foster Lawyer to settle them down. And, you know, Yes, there are times a foster lawyer has, has, has crippled them defensively. Um, there are times where they've overused them. But there have also been games at Iowa, for example. Um, there have been games where he really, and, and even that first game at Duke when Watts was out of sorts at the beginning and he came in and, you know, there, there are games where he, especially offensively, and I know he's drawn some charges, but offensively just settles them down. The ball goes to the right place. And Langford can do that, but it puts more pressure on him. You know, being able to put Watts in for four or five, or a, uh, Sorry, lawyer in for four or five minutes right now when your other two point guards are struggling a little bit, I think would have really helped this team. There, I think there was a reason why Izzo was was going hard after Kareem Mane because um, I think he saw the the fact that they needed a bigger guard to be able to handle the ball, um, you know, and alleviate some of that and maybe keep Lawyer in that that minimized role that he had where it was maybe before or after a little bit with the media timeouts like he played with Cassius Winston. Um, you know, I don't think you can get by with 10 to 15 minutes of Foster Lawyer, but three to four where he's just focusing on one thing sometimes can be okay. Um, it's those longer stretches where, where you see his liabilities and when he, when he gets in there against a bigger guard and gets back down and, you know, that, that became an issue. And, uh, you know, I will say this too, you know, going back to the Michigan game, how many back downs did we see in that game? I mean, how many guys did you see between not just Dickinson but Livers? Uh, I think I feel like Livers backed down Malik Hall pretty easily one time. I and mean, those those are you talk about program traits. The, not getting backed down is is another thing. Thomas Kithier was I mean Hunter Dickinson just moves him at will. You know, we talked about how well he's done to keep guys out of the paint all in most of the season with Kithier. Uh, he was completely ineffective against Michigan and I mean you know they they couldn't have played him any more than they did or else it would have been out of control by halftime the Kithier thing was weird because you know he was Kithier is very very much matchup based whether he's effective right like Trace Jackson Davis against in the first matchup against Indiana he was outstanding and pushing him off the block but he's a small he's a savvy player but he's not a physical player Dickinson is a presence and so th th it doesn't work with Kithier. And I think that's one of the advantages of playing back-to-back. -back. This was a live scouting report in some ways. You should know that. And, and you know, Izzo made some weird decisions against Indiana in the second game that I didn't really understand early on with the lineup. But they got through it and they won the game. 
this game, you've just seen what works. Bingham, I think, will work. Bingham played a lot against Austin Davis, very little uh, early when the game was on the line against Hunter Dickinson. But Marble played 10 minutes and 50 seconds, almost 11 minutes, and the score was 3-2 to two between those two. Like, he, his physical nature gave them the best shot, and he starts anyway. Like, that's your, your avenue, and, and um, I, I, I think you've got you've to see that. And I don't know that you don't play Kithier at all. I think there are things offensively he does, especially to breed confidence into that offense. And, but maybe you don't do it when Dickinson's on the floor, you know? And um, I, I think you, you have yeah, to – I didn't, I didn't understand not giving Sissoko minutes until late in the game, until like maybe five minutes left either. I, you know, I thought maybe well, you know, you try and roll him in there after Kithier was getting getting torched. You know, yeah. try something. You know, it, because foul trouble was an issue at times. I don't think they got into much foul trouble in the paint. Not as much as uh, as say some of the other games, like the Indiana game, or or you know some of those other games, like the the Ohio the Ohio State game, or was it the Illinois game where they were? I think it was the Illinois game. They were rotating guys just because how many fouls do we have left to give? But you know, I thought maybe with Sissoko's size a little bit, they'd try and, and throw him in there at them. But, you know, again, you know, perhaps that's a holdback for, for Sunday. I don't know. Right. It'll be, you know, Gabe Brown's got to shoot. Joey Hauser's got – Joey Hauser took seven shots, made three. But, but you know, those guys got to um, – and, and obviously, you know, with, you know Langford's going to have to have a, a, a decent game. And Henry – I mean, I think Henry gotten – I think one of the things we sort of saw for the first time with Henry is this – his thinking that I'm the only option, <laughs> you know, and I think that led to a couple yeah. of his turnovers. And, and I think that's, it was in his head a little bit. He was looking around and his teammates weren't doing a lot and he looked like the only guy. And part of that is what Michigan takes from you. And, and so there, there are advantages and disadvantages to what Michigan does. Like Michigan will give you the lane, like their rim protection is, you know, is, is just okay. And then if you're in the lane and, and so for Henry's game, Michigan is an ideal opponent. Um, but, I don't want to say give you the lane, but you know what I mean. They will funnel you there. They will, um, they, they, in other words, they guard the three-point shot. They take away good looks on the perimeter unbelievably well. And so Michigan State was 0 for 9, and to their credit, only took 9. Um, but, but they're going to have to make those shots when they get in there, and Henry can do that. But other guys, Watts, I think that's why Watts has got to get that runner going. But they've got to find ways to get looks for Gabe Brown, but be it in transition and, and for, for – uh, Hauser and um, and and those guys are going to have to hit some shots, or or they're just they just don't they just don't have a chance. I mean, the, the bottom line is they're going up against a team that is going to have a, a, a is likely to have a point in the game where they score in bunches for a few minutes, and you've got to kind of keep pace. And, and uh, that you know, I Michigan State's going to have to score. That sounds like great advice. Not to be all doom and gloom, not to be all doom and gloom, but there was one. You know, you meant when you said about uh, only taking nine threes. There was one positive, little positive that I saw that um, that went unnoticed, where Marcus Bingham had a wide open three and deferred, moved the ball out front early in the shot clock and reposted and scored over Dickinson. No, that, I mean that wouldn't have happened oh, two weeks ago, three weeks ago. I thought he was going to shoot that three as soon as he got yeah. the ball because there was a lot of space there. He wants to play. <laughs> he knows. <laughs> he knows yeah. that's not. Yeah, you know, but he, he showed he can make that shot in the paint against a, a, a good Big Ten player. And here's what here's what he needs to mean? do. You know, for, 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 for Bingham, they need to take him back and show him, like, junior A.J. Granger highlights. Because before A.J. Granger became this dude who just knocked in threes for that national championship team, he owned that 
15 to 17 foot baseline jumper. And, and that's a shot that we've seen Bingham hit. And I think Izzo is okay with, and you know, there, there are, and I'm not saying that, I mean, he obviously has the stroke to make it, but you do that, you start hitting that and then people are okay with you shooting. They get used to that idea and then you can step it out. I, and Bingham's career is going to be interesting to watch too. It was, you know, I did a Q and a with, with, uh, with Draymond green earlier this year where he, kind of unprompted just talked about watching Bingham and still seeing him for his pro potential. Um, and it, it's interesting to hear a guy say that who's obviously in the league, who has a lot of knowledge of what it takes to make it in the league. I see Bingham sometimes and I think, Hey, he hasn't, uh, he, he doesn't have the strength. Izzo thinks he can put it on. He doesn't have the quickness to not have the strength. That's a, a part of his issue too. Um, and I don't necessarily always see it, but another guy that if he wants it could have two more years of college ball and, you know, uh, with a seven four wingspan and six eleven, if he's ever ready for the league, the league will take him. You know what I mean? Like that's he's not a guy who you know you don't, you don't have to worry about the perception of needing five years. If, if you're good enough, it's six eleven with a seven four wingspan. The NBA will find a role for you. You know. So before we go, one more thing here. Do you think uh, Michigan State will win Sunday? So I'll I'll go here first. I I think they win Sunday. I think. You know, I don't know how much Michigan has played for at this point. The Spartans will be pretty inspired. We've seen they can do it, i.e. the Illinois and Ohio State games that, that we have previously mentioned on this podcast. So uh, with the Wolverines off the throttle just enough and maybe an inspired Spartan performance, I think they pull it out Sunday and then punch their ticket to the big dance. Mm. You want to counter this, Chris? Yeah, I'm a little less optimistic than that. <laughs> sure. <laughs> you know, I, it's, funny, it's funny that Graham mentioned Draymond Green because – so did Jawan Howard after the yep. game. Apparently they showed a video of how Draymond said he didn't want Michigan to ever win a game again. So, um, you know, that's uh, that's going to be a pretty interesting game because they don't want to lose this game on their rivals' home court after watching. And I think some of the players talked about watching Michigan State celebrate a Big Ten wow. championship a couple years ago, two years ago, after beating Michigan. Um, there was There was some catharsis to their – celebration after uh beating michigan state last night and i think this this game i think means something to them uh beyond just simply we got to play it out um which is a dangerous thing um you know and then they don't they won't have to play again until friday so you got to play you got to keep sharp and that's, that's gonna be your last chance to keep sharp if you want to go and win a big 10 tournament title too so I'm not as confident that 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 it will just be one of those things where Michigan's going to check out before the tip-off. Um, you know, I, I still think Michigan State can can resuscitate uh, a performance like the Indiana game, or excuse me, the uh, the Illinois game and and the Ohio State game, but it's also not a, a terribly favorable matchup uh, from what we saw. So, yeah. I mean. I, I, it's hard for me to to say that Michigan State can win it with when, when the problems still persist and, and continue like they have been when they've been at their worst. Yeah, usually I'm not that optimistic. I just don't know if Michigan State can play as bad as as they did there. And and I'm not saying Michigan would check oh, out. Oh, they have just, they have this year on a couple occasions. Yeah, and I think they'll I think they'll it's, be as recently I, I think as a month be, ago against Iowa. I think they'll be inspired on Sunday. That's all. I, I, I agree that they'll be inspired. I think they'll play hard. I think it'll be I think it'll be more competitive. I do. Um, 
I think if they lose again in that fashion, it would be dispiriting that this one wasn't clear clearly for them. I think they thought they left something out there and didn't play well. Um, I don't, you know, I, I think Michigan's just that good. I, I mean, the, the problem, the biggest problem for Michigan State is I think I know that Illinois punched Michigan and they they wobbled and they didn't come in ready and they might have taken it for granted because of the Ao Sumu injury, um, but. I think Michigan is a beast of a different kind and matchup wise is a problem of a different kind. But I think also there are things they did in the Ohio state and uh, Illinois games that they've got to do. I mean, they, they've got to be physical. They played those two games with force to the point that they broke AO's face and got Holtman kicked out of the game. Like that's who they've got to be. You've got to get Juwan Howard ejected because he's so angry at the way the game is being played. And um, I, I just think that, you know, they've got to play with the force they did. They've got to try to be a bully. They've got to be physical. You know, if you're going to, you know, to me, if you're going to get called for 340 fouls anyway, make them count. Play your game. Get after people. Now, you don't want Aaron Henry in foul trouble. And if he gets two fouls, you might need to play him a little bit in late in the first half. Israel's got to, got to look at And I understand that, look, you can't trust refs. And you certainly can't trust refs the way they called the game the other day. And that first foul was egregious. The second one was interesting, I, but the first foul really set up the problem with the second foul, and that's why you got to go to six fouls, a whole different conversation. But they, they, you want to walk off the floor if you're Michigan State with no regrets. And if you're just not good enough to beat Michigan, there's no shame in that. Um, but I think they have regrets from the other night, and, and, and for them, they'll, they'll have to live with those regrets if they don't play differently um, against Michigan on Sunday. All right. Any final thoughts before uh, we check out of here? about it well it's yeah it's been a grind we're uh, good there's another game we'll obviously, we'll obviously we'll reconvene before the big 10 tournament yep. um and figure out when michigan state will play i mean or who they'll play i should say it's pretty much fait accompli that it'll be a thursday game now but um yeah i mean it's uh which team shows up and how much is that game going to be needed um and how much how much will a couple days off maybe help this team? I mean, all these things that, that we won't know until they get down to Indy. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Spartan Speak, a production of the Lansing State Journal, Detroit Free Press, and the USA Today Network. If you enjoy this podcast and the work surrounding it, please consider subscribing. You can follow our coverage at lsj.com, freep.com, and on Twitter at Graham underscore couch, at Chris Solari, at Phil underscore friend, and LSJ Greenwhite. Thanks for listening. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.